Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome back for another edition of the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alfstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawks fans, welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm Bill Alfstead. I'm here with Keith Myers. Keith, come on in. Tell me how you're doing. How's your week going? We got a lot to talk about today. This has been a crazy week. Um, I'm still alive, as are you, apparently, since you're talking. N- neither of us have died from the coronavirus yet. Um, but yeah, that seems and to be not what likely talking to. about right now. Oh, of course not. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 that is the uh, news item which everybody is talking about, whether it be sports or not. Um, it yes. has impacted sports in a way that we ha- don't believe we've ever seen from any other outbreak type of thing that we've ever encountered. It's been a very interesting last few days. Yeah, I think we need to talk about it a little bit. It is impacting the leagues, uh, not just the NFL, but uh, all the sports leagues. Obviously, uh, lives, et cetera, are, uh, there's a lot more going on than just sports, and we understand that. Um, but we live in the sports world with this show and the podcast and the Seahawks, so we'll kind of lean in that direction um, we'll talk about free agency today. That's what we're here for today is to talk about free agency. We're going to highlight some players that are kind of sea hockey players and free agency that we think the Seahawks have on their, uh, radar to bring in and spend some money on possibly. And, uh, yeah, we'll just kind of round it up. Uh, both of us have told each other before the show that we would try to bring eight to 10 names into the show, not specific to position groups, but just names that we want to talk about. We've both done that. In addition, we probably have another 20 names <laughs> each on our, on our list that we'll probably throw in there as well. So um, yeah, I'm let's, eight, I, I'm up to 18. So, you know, it's eight to 10. It's if you add them together. Nice. Right? <laughs> okay. That was my justification for it, right? And and um, Angie had mine, and then we'll add, you know, Dano Gormans and, you know, some other folks out there that we could probably pile together a list to get 40 players. We'll just talk oh, easy. about Yeah. Um, let's talk about the uh, coronavirus right off the top and just kind of get it out of the way. It's just been a crazy wackadoo uh, type week where everything's just rapidly developed um, from a point of... Last week when we recorded, we just kind of, we didn't even talk about it. And uh, and things didn't look like they were going to be impacted the way that they have. And things in a, in a week have just gone from zero to 60 in like 2.3 seconds. And so mm-hmm. we need to talk about it a little bit. Uh, the NBA has suspended their season after Rudy Gobert, uh, Gobert and uh, another player tested positive on the Utah Jazz for coronavirus so that NBA canceled the league, uh, suspended it. Uh, but who knows when it's going to start up again. The NCAA men's and women's basketball tournaments have been canceled. No March madness on both men's and ladies side. Um, the NFL draft is in jeopardy. The XFL looks like it's done. They're suspending the season. Uh, Disneyland has been shuttered, closed on Saturday, uh, for at least a month. Uh, school districts in um, up in King County and Snohomish County and a few other counties in Washington State uh, are told that they're not going to be returning to school until sometime mid to late April. 
this thing is kind of crazy. It just keeps going. Uh, by this time, uh, when we record next week, who knows what's going to go on? Uh, Keith, what is your just kind of general feeling about the whole thing? Well, I think the the general feeling about all of this is uh, the the leagues aren't doing this because of a media scare tactic. You hear that kind of stuff like, oh, it's not that bad. It's just the media freaking people out. No, the leagues are doing this because of genuine concern. And, you know, the, uh, the NCAA went from, no, we're not going to change anything to, okay, we're going to play the games, but we're going to do it with no fans in the stadium right. or in the arena to, we're just going to cancel the whole thing all in about 24 hours. Um, yeah. It started with just, that, so. you know, hey, it's just going to be fans that are going to be impacted. I don't think anybody really thought about the idea that the players themselves could be contracted with uh, coronavirus and how much of an impact that, that might have league-wide. Well, yeah, and everything changed in this country when uh, Rudy Gobert uh, of the Jazz tested positive uh, for COVID-19. Once he did, everyone's like, all right. You know, we're not pretending anymore. This is serious. This is crazy. We cannot be dealing with this because if you think about what these players do with their bodies and how stressed they can be, you know, a, a sickness like this that would, for the most part, it only, uh, it's it's just like the flu for most of us, but it's bad for people with strained immune systems. Players with the stress that their bodies can go under can be in that situation of having a strained immune system where it can be much worse for them than it is for, uh, you know, a normal healthy adult. So, uh, it, it's one of those situations where all of a sudden everyone's eyes open and we're like, Whoa, we have to take this seriously. I thought it was when Tom Hanks contracted the, the, the virus that we started taking it seriously. I'm just kidding. Listen, here's two thoughts. Um, I don't want to pretend whole, uh, I don't want to pretend that, like Keith and I are looking at this as some sort of privilege thing or favoritism towards players that make lots and lots of money. There's seriously a outbreak going on that's going to impact um, citizens regardless of income, regardless of status uh, in society, et cetera. So I'll make that really clear. This also disproportionately impacts the older generation, uh, folks from 70 to, to 80 to 90 it looks like folks uh, in the 80-year-old-plus range that contract the virus have a proportionately higher probability of dying from this thing. Um, and so that's the big concern is it, you might not be susceptible to it as a, as a younger person, but if you do catch it and you don't realize that you've caught it for the three or four days prior to you getting symptoms, you could pass that on to other people that are, are susceptible, and that's kind of the thing. That's, Actually, it's it's ten to fourteen days from is it exposure really? to, and that's one of the problems is that oh. you can become contagious after I think it was seven days or six days from exposure, but then it's ten to fourteen days after exposure. So there's that gap in the middle where you are both contagious and symptom free. And wow, yeah, hashtag it, facts. It's not. It isn't the. It isn't the players for the most part. It isn't you and I and, and most of our listeners that are healthy adults and, um, and children aren't, well, aren't yeah, impacted I mean, that, that aren't impacted that much. It is those people who are immunocompromised. It is, you know, our, um, like my parents' generation, your parents' generation, yep. um, some of our listeners, grandparents' generation, that group, it is people who have had, uh, other serious diseases or an organ transplant or, 
uh, any kind of autoimmune disease, which means they are on a, a, a on some sort of medicin, medicin, medication that su- suppresses their immune system, because yep. these are the uh, these are the people who their bodies cannot naturally uh, account for um, all of the stuff that's going on with this, and they become very and susceptible. And there's no immunity built up for this, and there's no um, there's no shot available for this. Yeah. Um, and so it's it, it is crazy. I mean, my mom's totally completely fits in the category of somebody that's really susceptible. She's had, she's been fighting bronchitis that she got, you know, in January, she's still kind of fighting that a little bit. She's, uh, in her, uh, late seventies. And so she's got to be really careful. You know, I'm going up there to visit with her this weekend. I've got to be careful. I'm flying on an airplane. I got to be careful. I got to wash my hands, all that kind of stuff. So any hoodaloo. So let me ask you this, Keith, let's bring it back to the NFL. Um, what have you heard on the NFL front? Uh, for anything that's upcoming, and how do you think this might impact? I don't, and um, again, I'm not trying to minimize everything else that's going on in the world. I'm just this is a NFL focused podcast, so I just kind of wanted to bring it back to that. Uh, how do you think it might impact the draft? How do you think it might impact the season? Well, what it what it's going to do at this point is uh, the league has already announced they're going to cancel the league meetings that happen uh, usually near the end of this month. This is where you know, rules changes are usually ratified by the uh, owners and there's all sorts of meetings and people from all levels of the organization are there. Free agents are there. It's just this big thing. This is where, where big trades tend to happen just because you have people literally in the same room. Uh, you cancel that. And now you are looking at the possibility of it just being really a lot harder to get those kind of big blockbuster deals done. Um, what I heard on the, uh, this afternoon was that as of right now, they're planning to start the league year as expected, which means no delay of free agency. But then uh, almost like immediately afterward, uh, you said that Bob Condotta, uh tweeted that he's, yeah. he believes that uh, based on what he's hearing, that the league is going to delay the start of free agency and uh, not have the league year officially start right away. Yeah, he, uh, he it, said that uh, the uh, it wouldn't look good for the league to be announcing multi-million dollar contracts in a week where everything's essentially shutting down and stuff. So it, it's a tough situation. In addition to those facts, uh, I understand that all of the rookie visits to clubs have been canceled. Mm-hmm. I also read that all of the uh, secondary medical uh, things that go on between now and the draft have been canceled, postponed, canceled. Um, uh, that would impact, you know, players that need second opinions on medical, all that kind of stuff. That those have been delayed or canceled. Um, the draft, there's now talk, and this is just talk at this point. But there's talk about having this thing go uh, down to just essential personnel at the draft. No players at the draft. No spectators no fans at the draft just having it in a closed door kind of situation where they just call out numbers just like it was in the old days i mean back in the 70s and 80s you used to just have these things called out and um very few fans were actually at the event um and that may end up being the situation this year now beyond that it's just really hard to predict and hard to see what's going on because this thing's moving so rapidly but you know fans just need to kind of be ready for literally almost anything regarding the 2020 nfl season 
Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that I think is important here as we talk about all of this is sports is often a uh, an escape for people, right? It doesn't matter what's going on, whatever. Sports is fun. It's a distraction. It is not the serious things of life. Um, and here we are having these serious parts of life come in and affect our sports. And our sports right now can't be that escape that we're used to having. Uh, but at the same time, sports are such a, an integral part of our communities, right? I mean, how many people do you know that are Seahawk fans? Not like, oh yeah, I kind of follow the team, but real fans. Like it's it's something that's kind of like built into our communities to be a part of these teams. These teams are a part of our lives. And so this is a situation where it's not just uh, oh yeah, we're canceling games and you know people are going to have to find something else to do. I mean, this is a disruption of our normal daily life. Uh, and you know, this is a kind of a big deal. It is something that we should be talking about. It is something that we should be thinking about. So and it, not- and it affects dozens and dozens, hundreds, thousands of people that work in the business. Uh, we're yeah. talking about sports writers, sports broadcasters, camera folks, concessionaires, security people, parking attendants, uh, sports merchandising, um, and, the, and the NFL uh, stores surrounding that, um, and and hotel business, and all that stuff that's connected. Um, so it does impact real lives um, surrounding all this too. So. What do you what do you think? Should we should we talk some Seahawks stuff just to kind of break break away from that? We'll come back to that as as it warrants as we continue uh, to progress through this thing as in the months to come. But uh, that's you know kind of sets it up for now. Yeah, let's move on. Let's let's talk some free agency because, like I said, as of um, what I heard on my 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 way home after work today was free agency was going to start as planned. So let's talk about free agency. Okay. Well, right before we get to that, I just want to talk about some coaching staff changes in 2020. Oh, yeah. I forgot, I forgot about that part. No problem. Uh, a couple of minutes here. Uh, Dave Canales, uh, quarterback coach, uh, has moved to the passing game coordinator. Uh, I'll go through all of these and then you can uh, you can talk about the ones you want to. Austin Davis uh, was an offensive assistant, moves to the quarterback coach, becomes the, I think, the youngest quarterback coach in the league. Uh, previously, uh, one Stent one-year uh, backup quarterback here in Seattle, Austin Davis. Brennan Carroll, run game coordinator. Uh, Nick Sorensen, secondary coach, has added a responsibility of nickel specialist. Maybe that means they'll move out of the 4-3 base a little bit more often this year. Steve Hutchinson, a name we're, we're familiar with, uh, past uh, now uh, Hall of Fame inductee Steve Hutchinson as a football consultant on the personnel side. Aaron Curry comes in as a defensive assistant. Uh, new coaches to the system besides uh, Hutchinson and Curry. Uh, Sanjay uh, Lay is the uh, senior offensive assistant. Damian Lewis, defensive assistant. And Kalei, Kalei Kekua, Kekua, offensive assistant. So that's uh, the new additions to the coaching staff. Near as I can tell, there wasn't really any any folks released. Maybe I think one one guy, but all the main players are still there at their spots. Yeah, there was one person who left and became the uh, tight ends coach at Boston College, uh, and that was the one name that I saw that left. Um, but overall, I mean, there's some interesting parts to this because what they've done is they've expanded the coaching staff, which I think they needed to do because they were last year they were 
in the middle of this uh, coaching staff uh, turnover that started a couple seasons ago, uh, they they haven't had as many assistants, and I think adding to it's a good idea. Um, one thing that really came up that I thought was interesting was that uh, Brian Schottenheimer, who's the offensive coordinator, now has a passing game coordinator and a run game coordinator that are not him. Uh, and I felt that was really interesting because now you've got these guys that are going to be working on game planning and coordinating the offense and having, you know, those responsibilities. And that means that those responsibilities are somewhat being taken away from Schottenheimer. And I just read that as kind of things will sharpen up a little bit, like the details, the, the, you know, they'll be able to get down into the weeds a little bit more in the, in the quarterback room, in the running back room and kind of bring Schottenheimer's plan to a more detailed focus throughout the week. True. What, but how do other, you see it? I see it as what they're going to do. Cause when you give them the title of coordinator, you were talking about creating game plans. And what that show, tells to me is that this isn't going to be, um, Schottenheimer sitting in a film room with a, a legal pad, uh, writing out you know notes and and coming up with a game plan. That now he's got a team. He's got two other people working for him. Uh, they're let's not make let's not beat around the bush as far as that. They are he is their boss uh, when it comes to this. But he's now got two high profile assistants whose job is to help him uh, put all those things together. And so yes, it's going to be things. It's going to be disseminated out to the other coaches and the players in a more organized fashion. But it's also going to mean that they are going to be able to look at more film. They're going to be able to look at more stuff. And there's going to be more ideas being brought to the table on how to attack certain things. And this is great. Perfect. Because Schottenheimer, as he has his, um, he has his strengths, he has his flaws. This helps mitigate some of the flaws. I'm all for it. Um, the interesting part of doing that when you're talking about, uh, you know, people that are going to work in there, Austin Davis, who was a uh, backup quarterback for a year, he's, what, 30? Um, and he's going to be the quarterback coach. Do you really think that Russell Wilson's former backup for a year, who is only like a year older than him, is going to be able to tell Russell Wilson, no, you know, you you can't do it this way. We got to hold you accountable for this, blah, blah, blah. No, not at all. Um, and so I read it, I read out that his job, Austin Davis, his title specifically is offensive assistant to quarterbacks coach. So I don't know exactly um, what that means. Oh, no, never mind. He was an offensive assistant. Now he moves to quarterback coach. Gotcha. Yep. So, so uh, you're, you're right. So how does Austin Davis impact the room when Russell Wilson's sitting there? Nothing. One, he was there yet. He was there last year. Two, um, Canales will, will be there as well. So it's going to be the same three guys, right? So it's going to be Davis, Russell, and Canales. Same three guys in the room that were in the room before. Um, and we can't forget that the one of the reasons why Schottenheimer was brought in to be the offensive coordinator is because while his track record as an offensive coordinator isn't great, his track record as a quarterback coach is stellar. He's so why the did they, you think they need basically three guys around Russell Wilson? Do they, uh, does that point to the idea that they might bring a younger guy in to develop this year? No. It's the same three okay. guys they had around Russell Wilson last year. They didn't Interesting. bring anyone young in. So okay. I just think, I think it has more to do with the fact that you don't need a 
uh, big name, really established, great quarterback coach when you've got Schottenheimer there because he can do the big, you know, that kind of stuff. And you just need guys that will do follow through, that will do the tracking and and that kind of stuff, the the little details that help uh, Russ and, and whoever his backup ends up being out. So that way it just frees up uh, Schottenheimer to do his other responsibilities because he's got a lot. And, you know, Russell, you're not expecting Russell to take coaching and uh, criticism and everything from a former backup. You're you're getting that from the guy at the top. And, you know, the backup's just there to help him with footwork or, or you know, little things that he's seeing and just being like, okay, let's, let's focus in on details. It's not a... Um, it's not a huge shift in anything that's going to happen. I uh, think I believe I saw Joe Fan report, uh, NBC Sports report, that there were a couple of teams inquiring about uh, Dave Canales in, in particular as somebody they were interested in bringing on, and so they offered him the promotion. Um, okay, so let's talk free agency. Uh, that's kind of why we're here. We're 20 minutes deep into the show yet. And we haven't even mentioned a name yet. I'm getting anxious. So, Keith, why don't you start? Why don't you bring a name to the table, and we'll just kind of throw it around a little bit and see how, how this thing goes. All right. So we're just going to just throw random random names into the mixer and see what happens. Um, yeah, sure. All right. Then let me let me start by throwing in a bombshell. Uh, Laquan, Laquan Treadwell. Wide wow. receiver. Drafted in the first round by the Minnesota Vikings and has been um, one of the bigger busts that you will see if you look at bat, out of the draft and first rounders. But he's a guy that is 6'6". He's got decent hands. He, there's a lot to like athletically. And having been a complete bust, you're looking at a guy who might be had for the minimum or slightly above it. And nice. at that height, at that height, you want a red zone target. There's a red zone target. Interesting. Nice. Well, since you went with wide receiver, I'm going to go with a couple. Um, and and they're the obvious ones out there. Emmanuel Sanders is uh, 33 years old, but he had a pretty solid season fighting through some injuries with San Francisco at 33 years old. I thought he would be a pretty decent third option in Seattle's offense. Just kind of a possession-style wide receiver at this point in his career. He's probably going to be on the spendy side. Somebody might throw 8 to $10 million at him for a couple years. Um, I don't know that Seattle's going to be that sort of a spender. One uh, person that they might consider would be someone that is slightly younger in a Randall Cobb. He's 29 now, 30 this season, uh, 36 catches for 502 yards this year. You could probably look at him at like $6 million, like three years, $6 million deal. That might not be such a bad thing to guarantee a receiver to come in for the Seahawks that would be a nice little weapon for Russell, wouldn't break the bank, and bring somebody in that would um, to add to the mix. So let's say they are going to break, break the bank because rather than going out and getting um, – Sanders, who I believe is, I mean, he's, I believe you can just tell by watching the play. He's not the guy he used to be um, a couple of years ago when he was with uh, Denver and absolutely dominant. He is a little slower and older and still a very good player, but he's not the dominant guy. Um, if you are going to go break the bank for someone, instead of getting him, why not go get Robbie Anderson uh, coming from That's the That's really going to break the bank. Yep. Talking about a 6'3 guy who put up stats and numbers despite having, well, he played for the Jets, so that makes it really difficult to put up stats and numbers. <laughs> but he's um, only 26. He's only 26, and he's 6'3", and he's got speed, and he's like, oh, my God, that's like DK Metcalf 
And he played in an underwhelming offense. You put him with Russell Wilson, that kid would catch fire. You're looking at probably what, 12, 12 million dollars a year, 13 million on a like four year deal. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to have to guarantee a lot of it. Yeah. 12, 12 million a year, four year deal. Um, so that's 48 million, but probably 30 of it's guaranteed. You're talking a lot of money, but so a couple of alternatives. Yeah, you mentioned yeah, no, I mean, the bank. I'm like, oh, absolutely. There, there we go. Well, a, a couple other guys that you might not have to break the bank for completely. I mean, AJ Green would be a break the bank thing, and I wouldn't do it because he's 32 years old. Uh, Rashad Perryman's been in. Rashad Perryman's been, been injured, but he gives you kind of exactly what you're looking for in a Seahawks receiver. Um, you could probably do him on a one year, two year deal at seven million dollars a year. Devin Funches again, uh, you're probably looking at like a two three year deal at you know seven to ten million dollars somewhere in there. So, I mean, just some wide receiver names. We were supposed to concentrate on just one. So you broke the rules first. And so I'm, I'm going to no, just keep going. No, wait, wait, wait. I didn't. I started with Treadwell. <laughs> then you combated with two. And I came back with a second to counter you. And then you, and, and then, then you I came like, back with two more. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you broke the rules first. Yeah, I just counted. and I told you and I told you I would. Okay, so I'm going to go with the name. I'm going to start on the defensive side of the ball. Um, this is if we don't decide to break the bank with Clowney. I think Clowney is going to be north of 22 million dollars. I just do. The market is just set up that way for him. Maybe not. There might be a couple of players. There's a couple of situations where you get a tag thrown on a couple of players and it dries that market up a little bit. We'll see. Uh, if we don't go in that direction, though, another guy that would play like the five tech spot in lieu of uh flowers on the on the roster not flowers what did i just say clowny and louis clowny on the roster would be eric armstead um currently with the 49ers it'd be a tag and trade sort of a scenario i think for the 49ers they're not going to just let him go i think they want to get something in order to get something i think they're going to have to tag him uh but i do think he would be on the trade market after that um and i think you could throw maybe a second rounder maybe a, one of our sec two second rounders at the 49ers and get him in the range of 17, eight, $18 million a year to play five tech. Now, all things considered, that's still a lot of money. I just think that he would be a nice upside type player, still young, um, that you're not going to have to break the bank for as much as Clowney. So you'd be looking at saving, say, four or five million dollars off Clowney. That might be able to afford you to get one of the other maybe second tier edge rusher types. Uh, that we might talk about a little later. What do you think of Armstead? I like Armstead. I, I don't. I wouldn't trade a second round pick um, to the Forty ers to for the rights to sign him to this to a massive deal. Uh, I would wait a year and then try and sign him to the same deal. Um, but I mean, that's not how the Seahawks tend to do things. If they, if they like a guy, they'll go trade for him um, and and resign him. So uh, you're probably uh, more more correct in terms of their thinking there. I just, I think, I mean, I think there could be a possibility of a sign and trade deal. It might not be Armstead, but there's like three or four players that I'm thinking that they are at least considering right now because of the way that the combine went and that, and the way the edge rushers look like they're going to fall in the draft. Oh yeah. The edge rushers are going to be, I mean, it's a priority because they were bad last year. They desperately need an impact. So you're, we're going to see free agent money and a draft capital, uh, thrown at that position because that is going to have the biggest impact on wins and losses from last year to this year of anything that they're going to do is it's going to be their pass rush. So um, I looked at, and I looked at the other side and because I know they've got a couple of guys that can play that five tech, they're not going to be clowning. Yeah. Um, 
but they there are guys that could at least play the position, hold it down if they had great play on the other side of the line. And I started out with uh, Shaq Lawson, uh, who coming from the Bills, a lot of sacks, kind of a one year wonder in terms of that. Like you just kind of exploded this last year after being underwhelming the previous years, but. I think that a teams are going to be a little scared off at the fact that it was kind of a one-year thing, and so he's not going to be breaking the bank in terms of uh, Connie-like numbers at $22 million. You're probably looking at something around $14, $15 million a year. And at that point, you're talking about saving $10 million a year to go from Clowney to Lawson and going from a guy that's uh, going to give you five or six sacks, but be dominant on every play to a guy that's going to give you 12 sacks and be great on pass rushing downs. And I think given the state of the Seahawks pass rush, they'd be willing to do that and save the extra money and then use that on another player later. So last year, uh, Lawson had six and a half sacks with 18 quarterback hits for the Bills. Um, you're right. He could probably be a guy that you could get maybe even on a one-year prove-it deal for you know seven, $8 million. What do you, what do you think the numbers are going to be on that guy? On Lawson, I, I was I think it's going to be more. I mean, if you're if his market isn't there, he may take a one year prove it deal for eight million, and then expect a year from now for it to to be signed. If if the long term offers are there, I think it's going to be twelve, thirteen, fourteen, maybe fifteen at the top end, depending on how the uh, CBA extension looks at the time of signing. So uh, it's going to be in that range. It's going to be more. Uh, but if the if the market isn't there the way I expect it to be. Yeah, if you can get him on a one-year, like, eight, nine million dollars, do it. Do it. Do it right so away. So he's kind of like on the smaller side of a of an, of a base edge defender. So he would be play on the side that Clowney's on. I mean, that's kind of what he plays right now at 6'3", 260. Um, 25 years old. Uh, he's got his best run. Uh, his best attribute, I think, is run defense, Keith. Well, I don't know. I, I looked at him, and I was like, I, I see him – in this, the way he plays and, and his upfield motion um, at the snap of the ball, he is, and maybe it's just coaching and he can change in the scheme and, and do that, but uh, the way that he plays um, and where everything is up the field, he plays like a Leo, a seven tech on the other side of the line. Yeah, he's a little bigger, but he that means he can set the edge, which is one of the things they ask the Leo side to do. And... Um, I just think that that's, that would be a good fit for him is to be on that side of the line. He's going to give yeah. you he's going to give you sacks there. He's going to be disruptive and he's not going to be clowny well, and I, expensive. And I think his his production could actually go up because he's been playing behind Jerry Hughes and Trent Murphy there. Um mm-hmm. and w- with the Bills last year he took 47% of the snaps. In our defense, there's a likelihood that he could probably be looking at taking 70% of the snaps, maybe slightly more. Um, so you're taking a look at a guy that had 13 tackles for loss, 18 quarterback hits, six and a half sacks, and you're probably looking at closer to 10 sacks, 25, 28 quarterback hits and a bunch more, uh, run stops. So that could definitely be a guy that could be a value pick for the Seahawks. Good yeah, fun. And that, that's what I was looking at with that one. Nice. Um, okay. I don't know whether, I don't know whether to stay in the same sort of thing or not because there's a whole bunch of guys and maybe i'll just talk about just a whole bunch of guys really quick like a a matt judon type thing where they i think they might um they might tag him and it might be a sign and trade deal for that guy i really like him in that sort of sam linebacker leo role for the seahawks it'd be a guy that you could probably pick up in the draft as well but judon's going to give you that guarantee of production as a a vet to come in but he's going to be 
expensive. You're probably talking about $15 million. But that's an option, though, if you don't do like the Yannick trade. Yannick's probably going to eighteen to $19.5 million. A guy like Judon's probably going to be $15 million or so. So there's a little bit of savings there. If you don't do um, Clowney and you do somebody else instead of Clowney, and then you do a guy like Judon, maybe you go um, and you, you get a uh, like a Robert Quinn not a Robert Quinn. Robert Quinn's probably going to be more of a uh, a Leo guy, but um, somebody that can hold down the fort on that um, that base defensive inside. And maybe they they like uh, Rasheem Green over there as a starter, uh, if, especially if you pair uh, like a really nice defensive tackle and a nice edge rusher with Rasheem Green. Maybe Rasheem Green, you know, turns out and and he's a good rotation guy for you. I don't know. Um, and then. You know, if you keep going along the the line, Keith, you know, you've got your Dante Fowlers out there, your Robert Quinns, um, your Shaq Lawson's, uh, Bruce Irvin's out there, Yannick. They've been in that trade talk uh, that seems credible. Um, so definitely they're looking at solving this issue. We just don't know what combination. I think the whole key to the entire thing is Clowney. Uh, if they sign Clowney, it totally completely limits their opportunities to address other needs and concerns, not only just on the defensive line, but in the entire team. If they don't do Clowney, it opens up a little bit as far as what you can do, a combination of players where they turn the dial, you know, one a real nice player here, maybe a, a slight uh, either stay even player or a slight upgrade for like a, a Jerron Reed in the middle. And then maybe instead of Clowney, maybe you do a, a mid-tier guy over there to kind of hold down the fort and go draft a guy if you don't like what you've got on the team. Um, thoughts, Keith? Well, I think that, okay, for me, it's not so much of, oh, well, if you do Clowney, you can't do other things. I think if you do Clowney, you can still go get another guy. I agree. Position, but you have to be willing to you have to be willing to make the other moves, which involves moving on from KJ Wright, which well, you and I keep bringing it up. I keep saying yes, every time we bring right, it up, I right. know this would be unpopular. It will be unpopular with me. I will hate it. I love KJ yeah, Wright. You and me both. Yeah, right. But he's older. He's in the last year of his deal. He's got a cap number that he's probably not going to live up to. If they can move on from him, they've already got Cody Barton on the roster, who's built to be that guy uh, at that, that, that linebacker spot. If they decide to move on from KJ Wright, it saves them a lot of money and they can go do Clowney and someone else rather than having to go get, you know, uh, a guy that's going to cost less just to open up some extra money to go do something else. Yeah, I would do a Clowney and a Fowler. I mean, that to me would be the ideal um, Mm -hmm. or a Robert Quinn, you know, one of those two guys to come in and play that edge spot. And then you, you, you can draft around that. Maybe you bring back a... Um, Jerron Reed on a one-year deal if you can. If you can't, there's some other tackles out there that look pretty promising. One of the names that I wrote down, too, was um, Jordan Phillips. He's on my list of people that I was going to bring up next. Yeah, you bring a guy like Jordan Phillips in on a one-year deal or a two-year you know, seven to eight million dollar deal, a little less than Jerron Reed wants, but a guy that's going to give you a little something in the run game uh, to stop the run. And he's going to give you a little bit of, you know, upfield kind of disruption in the pocket. So what do you think? uh, Here's the reason why I liked him in there is that I looked at him and I thought, okay, this is a guy that's going to, going to, you can probably get two years and let's say um, 11 or 12 million total. Uh, So you're talking about five or six, 
five or six million a year, which saves you some money on um, Jerron Reed, which given Reed's production last year, I wouldn't be against saving some money um, on that position. But then at the same time, you know, go look at, at what he did statistically last year. This is a guy that has um, never had more than two sacks in a season until last year when he had nine and a half. Nine and a half sacks by a defensive tackle and interior Plus back. 16 quarterback hits and 14 tackles for losses. I mean, that guy was a monster last year. Yeah, he was. And uh, At 6'5", 329. Yeah, so this is a guy that it's very similar to what Jerron Reed did two years ago, um, where he was not mostly a run-stuffing kind of guy in the middle and all of a sudden exploded with all this pass rush. Um, he's younger. I think he'll be cheaper and he's got kind of the same pedigree. Um, I would actually, if you could do that to me, this is a, this is an upgrade. Um, and it, you save some money in the process. So I would, I would definitely go after uh, Phillips if I could, especially since you could get him two year deal, you know, uh, 12 million, pay him 6 million a year. And that would be a nice little piece to have in the interior defensive line. All right, so we've talked a lot about defensive line. We've talked about wide receivers. Give me another position on off your list somewhere. Um, well, let's go talk um, offensive line because I know everyone listening loves it when we talk offensive line, so we're going to do that. Um, and I was looking for somebody that was a little less um, obvious. And I was looking at right tackle because everyone's going to say Conklin. I don't think that you can just, oh, he's going to be there. He's going to be, you know, 12 million a year or 9 million or whatever everyone's going to say. Um, I'm like, okay, a lot of teams are going to be going after Conklin because he's a good player and he's worth it. Who else could they go after? And the name that came up for me um, was Mike Rimmers. Um, he was a little older. I think you could have him for six, seven million a year, which is less than people are predicting if is going to make, but he will be a massive upgrade. And if you do that, then you can also go draft a player in the mid rounds, a third round uh, player or a fourth round player to develop behind him and be the next guy. Well, he's definitely a guy that's, you know, should be on anybody's radar. That's looking just to plug a hole for a year. Um, and that's exactly what he would do. He's been on the decline mm -hmm. for like, a couple, two, three years, he's getting up there. And that's fine as long as you've got mediocre play from him on the right side for a year that's no worse than a Fetty, but you're going to pay him half the price of what a Fetty's probably going to get in free agency to hold it down for a year or transition into a guy that you draft this year. Maybe he plays the first three or four games or whatever, or he, or you sign him to a deal where you know he could be cut. or I don't know. Um, yeah. Let's make it that clear. That would be interesting. Mediocre play from Rimmers on the right side would be better than they've ever gotten from a Fetty. Just it would be steady that out there. It would be, it yes. would be better. <laughs> that would be an okay. upgrade. <laughs> I hear you. So I hear you. A couple of names I wrote down. This one might be a little expensive for the Seahawks would be the, uh, Vatai or Vate, the offensive tackle out of Philly that hasn't really started a lot, but he had 13 starts in 2017, but has played behind a few players, including Jason Peters and all that kind of stuff. Um, that would be a guy that would be interesting. Got some upside there. 
that definitely be no worse than we have now, but probably looking at the same sort of a deal like George Fant would get. So if you like George Fant and you like this guy, I mean, this guy's more of a right tackle guy. He's a bigger guy. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, that would be an interesting guy. Jason Peters is out there. He's been left tackle all his life. You could switch him over to the right side and extend his career for a year or two. He's 38 years old. He wants a one-year deal, but it'd be like $8 million. And he's still mm-hmm. got – he's still – rated at pro football focus as a top 20 tackle in the NFL. So I don't know. I mean, that'd be a hold down the fort kind of a guy as well. Can I go back and talk about, um, about Vitae? Because he's a guy that, um, you know, they, he, he started some at left tackle. He started at right tackle. Um, and when they were having injury problems and Peters was hurt and all of that, they, uh, they moved him inside to guard for a bit. They had him play a right tackle. They tried to get their, um, you know, they had a, a a rookie they really like and is is going to be the the left tackle of the future for them. They tried to get him to move to the right, and his footwork was just off because he's only played on the left his entire like college life. So they made that change fairly quickly and brought Vitae in, and it was like a nice upgrade. Um, but then when, uh, Peters came back, Vitae moved inside to guard because they needed help there. I mean, the guy has, um, value. Massive diversity. Yeah. Yeah. And he can play, you know, four different positions for you, be a nice swing player that can do all these things. Um, or if you need him to, he can start at right tackle and be decent. So, uh, I like, I like that, um, I like that uh, choice. I think that would be a really good uh, pickup for Seattle. It would, and if they if they decided they were going to spend uh, eight to ten million dollars on the right tackle, that might be a name that they would consider if they're not going to consider Fant. I don't believe that they're going to bring a Fetty back unless a Fetty had to come back on a one year deal because his market was dry and he came back for like six million bucks. I could see Seattle spending five or six million dollars on a Fetty for a one year deal. Other than that, they're going to be. Somebody else is going to be playing right tackle for the Seahawks this year. Another name, just to throw out there, and I don't want to talk about it too much, is, is Beluga. Uh, I don't believe that he's going back to the Green Bay Packers. He's 31 years old. He can hold down the fort for you for more than one year. Probably uh, uh, like a three-year, $9 million deal might get Beluga to come in. So if you're going to spend money at that spot and you think that he could do the job, that's a name to watch. Okay. Uh, I'll throw another name out there. Um Slot receiver. Uh, and I know we talked about kind of outside guys, but slot guys. Um, I was looking at, who did I have written down? Never mind. I don't have any slot guys. I was going <laughs> to, yeah, I was going to talk about slot receivers because I know we needed them. And then I just, I ran out of time and I already had my list really big. So I just skipped it. Um, let's talk about slot corners. How about that? Um, okay. Slot something, darn it. Uh, there's a couple of guys that I would consider uh, in free agency as a slot corner option. One is Brian Poole. He's going to be a, probably the more expensive slot that I'm going to mention. Had an 80.0 uh, pro football focus coverage grade in 2019. You're probably, uh, with the New York Jets, uh, you're probably looking at like a $7 million a year deal for a guy like that, but he could definitely come in and play and be in that spot for three or four years for them if they decided to go that way. Uh, another guy that I think that they really should consider is 25-year-old Kendall Fuller for that spot. Uh, slot corner has been playing out of position as a free safety out there. Uh, I believe that they could move him back into the, um, into the slot. 
and pay him five million bucks a year, give him a one year deal and see what, how he does and then figure it out a uh, year after next. But come in, add the competition. I think Amadi's probably got the upper hand on that spot this year. But they, if they do want to bring a guy that's young with a lot of upside, he would be the guy for me. See, the guy that I was looking at as a slot corner, um, someone that they could bring in that I don't think would, would break the bank or anything, would be uh, Daryl Worley, a cornerback out of our – we've played with the Raiders. Um, he's 6'1". Yeah. He's only 25. Um, was a third-round pick. He's never really kind of lived up to that um, as an outside guy, which is why I think they're going to move on from him. Uh, but you bring him in with the idea that he's going to be an inside guy who can move out if you know they have a lot of injuries at the position at some point, that kind of thing. I think he is a um, he's a guy that you could get a lot out of, and I don't think you're gonna you're talking like a huge cornerback t- style contract for. You're talking like you know four million a year, um, maybe five, but it's still less than you know like Justin Coleman got a year ago, and you're getting a guy who with a little more versatility than Coleman gave you, even though Coleman was great at being a slot guy. Um, so all told, I think that would be like a good fit um, for the slot corner. Uh, let's talk about center really quick. I got a couple names at center, although I'm, I know we're supposed to only talk about one. Uh, Graham Glasgow is a kind of a guard center combo for the Bills. Uh, I think the Bills probably want to try to get him back, and the Bills do have $80 million cap, but if they decide to move on... Um, the thing about Glasgow is he's younger uh, and he can play both guard and center for you. I think the Seahawks would probably bring him in to be their center uh, and he would be about $8 million a year, but that's way less than we're paying Britt right now. The other guy on that would be Connor McGovern. I think we've talked about that before. He's a guard center combo as well. So it gives you that diversity. Seahawks would bring him in as a center. He's got 36 career starts. He's a run blocking mauler and gives you enough in the past game. Um, and he's 27 years old. He, uh, and I have him at uh, 8 to $9 million. Uh Basically, it would be a wash. You'd cut Britt, uh, sign McGovern. Um, you end up, for cap space, You know, it, it would be a wash, but you get a younger player, a very large upgrade in terms of overall quality. Uh, and I think that that would be a great move for the Seahawks to make if they could get McGovern to come in here. Nice. Um, do you get any running backs? You got any, what other position groups, uh, do you have written down that you, we haven't talked about yet? I mean, I got quarterback, backup quarterbacks. I got running backs. I got a right guard. Um, how about, um, what your running back? Cause I do believe the Seahawks are going to be in the, in the market for a veteran low cost, uh, you know, guy that can come in for penny for a while. Um, I went with a couple of obvious veterans. Um, Frank Gore. Yeah. Would be. I, I mean, agree. This guy, this guy does not age. He's like 84. <laughs> he's 38, um, right? Uh, <laughs> Something like that, right? He's out there, you know, with a walker, but until he takes the field and then he runs for eight yards. And um, he just hasn't aged. He's just been incredible. And even last year, he was good. Yeah. No, um, he would be the perfect back for a backup at this point in his career. Yeah, and just to have him come in, be steady, have that leadership, uh, you know, of having a a veteran like that uh, there with with Chris Carson and just give him some time in order to uh, wait for Penny to get fully healthy. I think that would be a great fit um, in that. And then the other one that I kind of threw in there late was Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. Because I I heard um, Michael Robinson, the the former fullback for Lynch here, who the two of them are still close. say that 
he thinks that Lynch wants to play, but if he plays, the only team he'll play for is Seattle. It's like Seattle or not. So how how does how do you handle a situation like that where we know that Marshawn wouldn't come in until the third game of preseason, take three snaps and then sit out the last game and then be ready for the opening season game. How do you handle a guy like that when you know you need to kind of handle that position before you get to camp? So by signing a guy in free agency, whether it's a you know Frank Gore or somebody that you've never heard of before, and maybe drafting a guy in the middle to late rounds, and then you bring a guy like, uh, Marshawn Lynch and who, you know, you're going to make is going to make the team if he decides he wants to play. Um, how do you handle expending resources before you make the decision on Lynch? Well, so to me, what you do is you kind of make the decision on Lynch. You've talked to his people, you know, it's probably going to be a thing. And then we're going to be like, you know what, look, just hang out. You don't want to be here. Uh, we don't need you here right away. We're going to bring in some, you know, undrafted, uh, rookies or a seventh round pick. Um, and we're going to have Carson and we're going to have all these young guys. And then halfway through preseason, we're going to sign you and you're going to come in uh, to the rescue. And um, <laughs> he, uh, he loves that, by the way. He does. And so he's going to come in to rescue the team uh, that only has one, you know, running back uh, ready for week one that's any good. And he's going to come in and, and, and be the other guy. He may start week one just to get the crowd into it, but then he'll only play, uh, he'll play the backup role. He'll get like, you know, 25% of the, of the snaps and the rest will all go, uh, Chris Carson's way. And I could totally see him doing that. And I just, I think if you know, that's what you're going to do. If you, I just think that that handicaps the team slightly. I mean, yeah, you could get Gore and you could probably get him for, you know, slightly more than the veteran minimum with, you know, half the salary guaranteed or what that, that you could eventually cut him if you needed to that sort of a thing and still go out and get Marshawn, um, and then still draft like a, you know, mid, mid to late guy or undrafted guy, like you said, um, cause that, that room does need some infusion even with Penny. Um, so, but it seems like it does handicap the Seahawks into sitting and waiting on a promise rather than actually really solving it well i don't know if you're it's it's not sitting and waiting on a promise it's you it's the same thing at like the, the team what did couldn't they just year. sign him and then just say hey we don't expect you to show up until uh august 10th no because you can't you can't do that because then uh you're gonna have bobby wagner being like wait can i show up on august 10th um and you don't want to deal with that kind of stuff with different people like Dwayne Brown or, you know, you, you just don't it, it, like a year, like last year at the end of the year when all they had had all the injuries, um, the Seahawks brought him in and said, Hey, you know, we, we may need you or you, you know, want to, he's like, yeah, I'll go get in shape. And so he went and spent a week, like just working every day, all day, getting himself in shape and ready to play. Uh, and this was all an agreement that, you know, before they sign, and then he then right. comes in, he signs. It's this big thing, and everyone's excited. And ah, but they made that. I mean, I guess there's enough history there. A week or two, yeah. And the fact that any beef that they had between each other uh, when he left to go to Oakland and, and retired, and all of that is over. Uh, he came back. He was welcomed back. He was um, 
he and and he was just saying, "This is where I want to be. This is if we have unfinished business here. It's the only team I I'll play for is Seattle." And even um, you know, Michael Robinson said that he'll only team he'll play for if he if he's going to play is for Seattle. So there's a lot there. You're not you're not this isn't a guy that you're like okay we're gonna do this he's like yeah 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 and then come august he's like yeah i'm gonna change my mind if he if he if you have this plan and you have this agreement it will happen um and you just don't have to wait for it like and so then you can set yourself up to use all the spring their training camp all of i said spring i meant summer um all of training (laughs) camp everything to get a good look at all these young guys and really coach them up and all that kind of stuff and then if when you, you know you reach that point, you're like, all right, uh, now we need a guy that can play now. And you bring in the guy that doesn't really need the coaching and he can just step in. And, uh, you know, he's not the Marshawn Lynch he used to be. I mean, we saw that last year. He had some really good runs down at the goal line. But when he wasn't at the goal line, he didn't have the same kind of burst and wasn't the same caliber player he once was when he was one of the best in the league, but he's still going to be good. He's still going to be steady. He's going to be fine. And he's going to be Lynch. He's going to be the personality. He's going to be the spark plug. He's going to be everything you want him to be as far as that. And I would be totally okay with that. Uh, if that's what they want to do. Nice. I, I could see that. And there's no question that I could see that. Um, okay. Um, Another name to keep track of uh, for the ringbacks that I like is Ty Montgomery, uh, 27 years old, just a guy that could come in and take carries uh, for Penny and hold down the fort and and do fairly well for you and catch the ball out of the backfield. Um, I thought it was interesting uh, announced today on the tight end front that the Seahawks met with Jordan Reed today, 29-year-old move tight end from the Redskins, cut uh, from the Redskins bin season after – his seventh career concussion. Uh, so he missed all of 2019. I just don't know. And the, and, and he was cut in February after he cleared concussion protocol. So he literally missed the entire, entire season all the way to February before he was cleared from concussion protocol before they could cut him. Um, so that is a big red flag, but the, the bigger takeaway for me is that the Seahawks are actively looking at move, type tight ends, um, which kind of gives you a a hint as to what they might do in free agency and in the draft. You mentioned Hunter Bryant last week's show as a tight Mm -hmm. end you were watching uh, that would be um, in that Hollister type mold. And uh, I thought that they were happy with Hollister in that position and would re-sign him. He's a restricted free agent. Um, What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that is we don't know the motivation for bringing in a guy like Reed. And when you see a situation like that where the guy didn't play, he, I mean, how he didn't play all, at all. And with concussion protocol, it took him from August until February to clear the concussion protocol. I don't, I mean, this, you're not signing that guy to come in and play. But I don't believe you are, um, unless you have some sort of knowledge that other people don't have about what's really going on there. Maybe the team held him out and he actually cleared a long time ago, but they're like, ah, nope, too bad. Uh, we're not going to clear you for whatever the reason, roster, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so if you have that kind of, of information, then it's different. But in this case, what are you doing? You are sending a message to Hollister's agent that said, Hollister is not our only option. He's a restricted free agent. We want him back. 
but we are not paying a lot for a guy that's had half of one good year in his entire career. Um, so, and we have other options. So it, it, to me, there, there's that. There's also the possibility that he was brought in um, as a favor to his agent, because this is the kind of stuff that happens where an agent will, will call you up and be like, hey, I need you to do me a favor. Can you bring this guy in? I know you're not interested. You already signed to this other tight end, but can you bring him in? It gets his name in the news. It gets other teams talking about him, uh, and it'll help generate some stuff. And if you've got an agent that you've worked with a lot as a front office and you've done some big deals with, um, then you're like, you know what? You've, you've worked with us. We'll work with you and we'll get that done. And those kind of things actually do happen um, quite a bit in the NFL. And so I don't know if it's, truly meaningful and it might be maybe it is maybe they are looking at Hollister and like you know what yeah he was good last year but we can find a more like a a better athlete someone who's more explosive um in that same role and still do those things and so that's why they're looking at guys like Reed so if the Seahawks retain um Clowney and they let Reed go or Reed decides to sign somewhere else and they need to replace that productivity there in the middle They'll look into the draft, obviously, but in free agency, they could look uh, at a number of different ways to solve that sort of hole. Uh, they've got Puna Ford. Uh, Quentin Jefferson's a free agent. They could bring Quentin Jefferson back. Uh, Quentin Jefferson's probably going to be into the, he's probably earned a paycheck in the five, $6 million a year range though. So we'll see. Um, they could go a couple different directions, Keith. Javon Hargrave is a guy that's out there, 10 and a half sacks the last couple seasons, 52 tackles against the run. He's kind of a $12 million a year kind of uh, three-tech-ish, one-tech guy that can move back and forth in the middle a little bit. Another couple of guys that they could uh, look at would be Shelby Harrison or Shelby Harris, uh, Michael Pierce, which is kind of a more of a big run-stuffing kind of a guy like a $4 million a year. So if they want to upgrade a little bit from where they were last year, um, they might take a look at a guy like that. Mike Daniels is out there as well, 30 years old, but can still play. He's, he's a big guy, run stuffing kind of guy, but he gives you a little bit of push up the middle. Um, I don't know that you're going to get a guy in free agency. That's going to be your really productive three tech guy. That's going to give you 10 plus sacks, unless you get a five tech that can move inside on passing downs. Um, okay. So let me throw in a name in, in just in, in that, um, in that category and say Malik Collins who played with the Cowboys, uh, yeah. last year, um, six, two, three, 11 kind of fits that, um, that John Reed mold. He's 24 now. He'll be 25 next year. Um, you know, a guy that if you look statistically, I mean, last year he played 71% of their snaps. He was wow. on the field a lot. Um, that's, that's pretty substantial. Yeah, so he was on the field a lot. Um, he had uh, he only had four sacks, uh, six tackles for loss, ten quarterback hits. He's not that necessarily that push up the middle uh, kind of guy, but he is uh, a very steady uh, contributor, good against the run uh, guy who can also you know do some things that are disruptive, even if he's not 
getting there and finishing the, the quarterback hit um, and, you know, getting the quarterback to the ground, he's still moving them off their spot and that kind of stuff. Providing a little bit of push and making your defensive ends better. Uh, to me, that would be a nice fit. And I think you're looking at a guy that's going to be cheaper than Jerron Reed because he doesn't have that breakout season that Reed had in yeah. 2018. DJ Reader would be the same sort of deal. Um, yep. 25 year old guy. Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, and, and reader, I, you know, I think that reader could give you some upside, especially if you pair him with some really nice edge rushers. Um, anything else, Keith? No, I think we've, um, for our eight to 10 guys, I think both of us have talked about (laughs) most of our list and it's way more than that. So let's, um, yeah, let's call this a show and move on (laughs) and come back next week. So. Yeah, so next week's show is going to be a little later. Uh, I'm traveling in the middle of the week next week, so we're going to hold our show. Uh, we're going to record on Saturday and release Saturday as well, um, next Saturday. So a, a few days after free agency begins. So hopefully by then we'll have some Seahawk news to talk about. Uh, if not, we'll have free agency news in general to talk about when we record and anything else that comes up before then. Um, good show today. I mean, the, the first part of the show is, it's always kind of a downer to talk about stuff that's non football related and football related stuff. That's kind of a downer. Um, but we moved into some good discussion on free agency. Um, so predictions, uh, what are, what is the Seahawks first signing? Um, the first signing of a player who was on the roster last year, like a re or, 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 a- or anybody, anybody. The first yeah. signing of anybody. Um, How long do they wait? They don't. Uh, I wow. think very. I think very soon you're going to see uh, a guy like Quentin Jefferson resign for two and a half million a year for two what? years of five million. Oh, that's total. too low. That's too low. That's what he All made right. last year. You're right. That's what he's going to make again this year because he had two really good games where he he put up stats and the rest of the year he was in, invisible. Um, he's a nice rotational piece who played way more than he should have if the team actually had decent talent um, on the defensive line. And I think they're going to re-sign him with the idea that he'll be a rotational piece. But if I had to guess, I'd say he'd be the he'll be the first person with his name in ink um, for the Seahawks. Interesting. Yeah, I see him more as a four and a half million dollar a year guy with uh, six million guaranteed in this market. I just I just do. I think he's going to be in demand. Um, Yeah, for me, gosh, if it's not clowny. um, That's a really good question. I can't even answer my own question, Keith. I'm going to say a guy like, uh, I'm going to say they cut, they announced they cut Justin Britt and they signed Connor McGovern to a, to a four year, uh, $7 million a year deal. Four year, 28 million with, with 12 million guaranteed. Oh, so I think that's too low. I think if you're looking at four year with him, you're looking, um, you know, four year, 30, Two million, maybe thirty-four million, with twenty million guaranteed. I think you're. I think you're. I'd still do that deal. I would do that deal absolutely. And cut Justin Britt. You sign him. You end up with a cap neutral 
uh, upgrade. And he's younger, he's better, and it's cap neutral. How how would why would you not do it? Interesting. Yeah, I I think that that's uh, that that's realistic. I think those are realistic. I you know all this talk about the edge rushers and all that stuff. Yeah, I think we get one, but I'm thinking that we probably get the fourth or fifth guy on on your list, on my list, um, on anybody's list, and we just. Maybe it's Robert Quinn. He might be the big guy out there, and then we build around that. Maybe it's uh, maybe they decide it's Dante Fowler, and we build around that, and they move on from Clowney, and we just kind of work our way through this thing. I just don't know. It's really hard to predict. The only thing I can really predict with any semblance of any clarity for me is that this is an all-in year. This is a year where I don't think they hold back for comp picks. I think they go out and spend whether it's Clowney or whether they go get other people in lieu of Clowney. So Clowney leaves us for free agency. That would normally be a third round comp pick. I don't think they're they're concerned with that. I think they go out and sign somebody to replace that. Um, And so to me, I think they go all in this year. They spend the money. They re-sign the guys they want to re-sign. They go out and spend on free agency um, to try to build a Super Bowl team this year. That's my thought. Okay, so since we're in prediction mode, who is the first Seahawk free agent that signs with another team? Hmm. Jeez. I, uh, I think it would be Clowney. I think it would be Clowney signing with somebody that we just don't know about, whether it's the Giants or uh, the, the Titans. The Titans would be in a market for Clowney, I think. Um, they've got the cap space. The Bills have $80 million in cap. Um, the Giants have $65 million uh, right now. Uh, they're rumored to be interested. I think Clowney sets the market. I think that's the domino that kind of free agency waits on is a, is a contract like that. Um, and I think he breaks the bank. I think he signs for $23 million, shocks the world and moves on from Seattle. And he's the first one out the door. See that, that is, I think that's the easy one to me. Like that, when I ask that question, I'm like, I hope he says someone other than Clowney because Clowney is the obvious answer. It is um, the obvious answer. Yeah. So since since um, I said I hope you'll say someone other than Clowney, I'm going to say Jermaine Effetti. I'm going to think that someone is going to see his highlight. Don't see his, it. His his highlight reel, which is great, uh. <laughs> and they're they're gonna they're gonna see that and his uh. age, um, and they're going to talk themselves into that he they're going to get the highlight reel guy uh, every down and not the just genuinely bad player that you get most plays um, in between those highlight reel plays. Um, and they're going to pay uh, I'll, him. I'll, I'll predict more, something more than he's not. What? I'll pre- I'm going to predict that George Fant gets a contract before a Fetty and George Fant gets paid more money in the end than Jermaine Effetti. That That's a t- hot take, but I think there's folks that out there that think take. that George Fant has more upside than Jermaine Effetti. Jermaine Effetti is baked right now, and George Fant has upside. That's well, it. Well, George, like, if, if there's anyone who thinks that George Fant does not have more upside than Jermaine Effetti, then they are crazy. Just straight up. If you're listening and you think that, I'm calling you crazy. Um, because George so what do you Fant- think of my take? I, 
I don't think it's going to happen because there's no proven track record. He played um, as a rookie when he was undersized and still learning what football was. Yep. Um, and he looked terrible. He then missed an entire year with a knee injury. He came back and he's done this like tight end eligible thing and played a yeah, little bit. I know, bit. but there's enough of him blocking edge rushers to, to you can get an idea. Yeah, I just don't know if if you look at him and go and 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 know it completely what he is. I agree. Um, so I so I while I think he could be signed first, I don't think he's going to get more. I think somebody's going to talk themselves in to a Fetty for way more than he's worth. He's not worth more than like four million a year, but someone's going to give him eleven because they've talked themselves uh, into his highlight man, reel. I just because don't know. Because you know, you go watch a highlight reel, and the dude has some of the best pancake blocks you'll ever see. I think Jermaine Arfetti's sitting on the open market in three weeks and decides wow. at that point that he would would willingly come back to the Seahawks for a one-year deal. So I think George Fant gets re-signed first, and then they close the door on nice. uh, Arfetti altogether. I, I think, I, I would, think maybe that that happens. Because when you look at what happened at the end of the year for the Seahawks, um, Jones started a game at left tackle and really struggled. The next week, they went with Fant at left tackle, and it was better. I mean, he still made some mistakes. There were still some problems and everything over there. But he showed left tackle upside, which we all knew he had from his rookie year. Um, And I think that if the team, given the choice, they will take the hardworking Fant who can play right tackle, he can play left tackle, he can play tight end, um, and he'll cost less. I think they'll take that first. And so they've got him. He's the guy until they draft a right tackle. What do you think (laughs) the uh, George Fant contract looks like, Keith? uh, Two years, nine million. Really? Yep. Only two years. Four and a half uh, million a year. Yeah, I think you could easily make the argument that you could sign George Fant on a four-year, uh, eight and a half million dollar deal. So if it would you, be if you're would, if you're George Fant, you don't take that deal. You pass four year, not not to, not eight and a half eight and a half million a year. Why would you, you take a pass? Get, you would yeah. take eight and a half million a year. Yeah, if you take a look at the tackle market, um, and we just did, you'll know. You know that George Fant's probably the fifth or sixth at the outside seventh best right tackle or, or left tackle out there available in free agency. And I think, I think, th- I think Seattle fans and people watching will know that and think that, but if you are a team that needs a tackle, if you are the Titans, you're not looking at George Fant as a guy, he's a backup. He's a backup you think might develop into a starter over time, but you're you're thinking of him as a backup, and you're not paying eight and a half million dollars for a backup tackle. No way. And that's you're, why you're think, paying eight and a half million dollars for Vitae. You're paying for a guy who's started a number of games over the last two years. He's been a starter. George fans played forty seven percent of the snaps for the, the entire year. Not at, not at tackle, but at, at tight, tight that blocking end. tight end. At tight end, he's not playing tackle. He's not. Uh, he's not blocking speed rushers on the edge. He's. That's his uh, job. What is, what right, is he? Blo- is what job, is he blocking? That's not what he was doing. He was run blocking. He's not pass blocking. He's out there. He's most of the time. He's run blocking. 
there's not a lot of why would Fetty need help on the right side in a, in a run blocking situation doesn't he need help on the right side because his feet are slow and he can't block outside edge rushers a Fetty needed help on the right side in every situation um so yes but when when they had uh, Fant in there they weren't letting they weren't leaving Fant one on one they were letting the two of them double and then depending on what happened one of them would release um and 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 block someone else um they weren't asking either one of them to to block the speed rushers on their own and that is that right there is going to keep uh George Fant's market down because I don't believe that he's going to be viewed as a starter by teams outside of Seattle because they don't know who he is. They don't know what he's got. They don't see him every day in practice. Um, the The Seahawks do. They know who he is. They know what, what they've got. They can sign him to a deal with the idea that they trust him to be a starter. No one else is going to have that trust. And so... To me, when I look at that, I see this is why I said a two-year deal. You give him like uh, four and a half million a year, two years. You let him come in, earn the starting job, win the starting, you know, play, put the tape on there, and then go hit the free agent market when he's still young enough to cash in. Um, that'll be the plan for him. That's why I think he would do it. That would be the plan for the Seahawks because I think they would allow him to come in, be good, on the cheap, and they can work on developing um, tackles while, you know, in the meantime. Interesting. Wow. Lots of speculation, but you know, I think that we're probably, go ahead. In the end, what do, what do, what do you know? What do I know? We're just, we're just not not much, right? Yeah. Not much (laughs) when it comes to this sort of stuff. This is inside insider trading information. We just lack that. Um, okay. So, um, so next week, uh, we record Saturday. So look for that show, which is what the 20, first of march um free agency starts on the 18th uh you can uh contact agents and all that stuff on the 16th so we'll hear some scuttlebutt some deals announced before they're actually signed probably um and anyway uh until next time follow keith on twitter at myers nfl the show is at hawks playbook on twitter i'm at nwc hawk the show website is seahawksplaybook.com and you can follow us and subscribe on all your major podcast apps and that's the best way to get the uh, the show right into your feed so until next time keith go hawks go hawks hawks playbook podcast listeners thanks for joining us for another edition of the show you can subscribe to the podcast on itunes or google podcasts or listen at our website hawksplaybook.com follow us on twitter go is it NWC Hawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. See you next week and go Hawks.